Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant good afternoon to you. We're live here. It is the 27th of uh, July. You can join the show via email or 888 A little bit late this morning. Well, it kind of got messed up. I screwed up again. I don't know. I need a secretary. But Jim Rogers, legendary investor out of Singapore, he's going to be here tomorrow morning a little bit early because the 13-hour time difference for Singapore. Uh, Jim Rogers, uh, tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. We'll be talking gold, oil, silver, gas, Russia, China, like we're going to talk today, um, Ukraine and stock market and inflation, the Fed and the dollar. Really a good man. He's been at this for a long time. Jim Rogers, tomorrow, 9 o'clock Central, uh, live from Singapore. And that'll be tomorrow right here on One Radio Network. Right now, we're going to uh, spend a few minutes with a friend, and I haven't met personally, but we've had quite a few shows with Matthew Arrett. He's a great researcher, a journalist out of Canada. He has he's, he has more websites than allowed by law. I think he holds the record. Rising Tide Foundation, CanadianPatriot.org, StrategicCulture.org, uh, and he's got a substack. I want to get one of those substacks, but you know what? I'm so brain dead on geeky stuff, Matthew. I don't even know what a substack is. Uh, what is a substack, Matthew? And good afternoon. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, good afternoon, Patrick. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And yeah, you should get a substack for sure. Yeah. Um, what it is, it's a newsletter. That's all it is. That's it's, all it it's is. It's a website. but And it has a bit of a, a website feel to it, uh-huh. but it's a way for you to just directly um, send out messages, whether you're, it's your videos or write your writings. And, uh, and it gives people the option to either subscribe for free or to upgrade and, and pay a monthly, you know, four or $5 a month to support you um, and get maybe premium content. But it's, it's been a, a lifeline for Cynthia and myself, especially okay. since our PayPal's and, and other things were shut down uh, by Big Brother. It's uh, provided uh, a very, very important and, uh, and and useful way to pay the bills. So um, well, yeah, get it, get a Substack. I, I should do that. I am just the I'm the worst marketer ever. I shouldn't say that out loud, but Matthew, I just you know, I just do it and just give it to God, and hopefully we pay the bills. But I understand you guys who are out there in the trenches doing this kind of research, you got to figure out a way how to, how to make a living, right? I mean, you just got to. Otherwise, you got to, you know, go to work. You know? I mean, go to work somewhere else and, and not do the research, right? Well, you know, the, the, the first time I got a, um, a paid gig, because it, it is, you have to really think outside of the box. This is not sure. a conventional line of work. Um, yeah. And I'd spent some years just writing for free because, you know, the, the ideas you have, if you have ideas that you, you feel are important and should be shared, you want to work on your craft, and uh, for a long time, I was I was just doing things for free out of you know, and um, and I found myself working at a at a miserable job nine to five that I was really starting to despise um, <laughs> at a university, with some administrative stuff in a in a very fascist university, and everybody there was was really part of a you know an eco fascist cult of uh-huh. liberalism, and and there were a couple of people who could talk politics. And when I'd meet them in the hallway, we'd start whispering, because uh, if you get heard, you could be, you know, sent to a committee. You could be reported upon by a, by a student who might be offended. So it's a very, very, um, hmm. you know, tyrannical environment, as a lot of people have experienced. And uh, I just wasn't adapting to it very well at a certain point. <laughs> and uh, and I got called in um, to the head office to, to HR, and they basically said, you know, we're not going to renew your contract. You're not really. Uh, 
fitting in well. And I was like, ah, shit, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills now. <laughs> and I got back to my computer and I, I got a message from Strategic Culture Foundation, which is a, a Russian uh, news magazine. And they offered uh, to uh, to pay. And that was the first time I, I had ever received somebody who was willing to actually pay money for uh, some writings. Isn't that interesting? So I saw that as, as a bit serendipitous. Yeah, that, that, yeah. You know, that was like uh, the, the universe knocking at my door saying you have to really just put your your energy now into this basket entirely and just, just branch out. So that's what I did. Matthew, when I, when I Googled you this morning, which I just did just to see what all the different things that you're involved in, it said that, it said that you're... You still work for American University in Moscow, or what is that? Yeah, well, it, it, that's a Washington Moscow uh, think tank. Ah. Um, that's run by a uh, by a friend named Dr. Edward Lazansky. He's a nuclear physicist wow. and a uh, an expat from the um, a defector in the 1980s who left the Soviet Union and became sort of a, a freedom, you know, human rights champion um, and really an anti anti war activist. Um, and he had been building it, especially since the late 90s, he had been um, using his, what was originally planned to be an, an actual university in uh, in Moscow in the early 90s that he had been building towards. He had a lot of people in, in the U.S. government who was trying to help create sort of a, a university in Moscow to mm-hmm. help so-called westernize. But the there was a battle at the time um, between different ideologies of what what that westernization process was going to look like, whether it was going to be um, the way I think Reagan kind of wanted, which was, okay, the Soviet Union is collapsing. Now we can help build a real industrial capitalist economy based upon real development. And there was promises for like $100 billion of, of Western investments to help uh, really uplift you know, the Russian economy, invest in massive infrastructure and, and and use that as a, as a springboard for a complete, sort of an economic renaissance internationally, which was a very positive idea. But then, of course, when we actually saw George Bush Sr. and then Bill Clinton come in, there was a very different idea of just subjugating and destroying Russia yeah. and creating a new oligarch- oligarchical class by privatizing everything and expanding NATO. So uh, the planned uh, American university that uh, Dr. Lazansky was, was supposed to head did not pan out. It was not funded even though the government building was provided and, and pledges were made, but it was mm. never followed through. So since then, it's been sort of a, a platform to, you know, initiate conferences for East-West Dialogue, which it's been doing for 25 years. And uh, they offer certification courses as well on physics and, and political science. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we want to tie, uh, I read an article you wrote about Russia and the China and the Silk Road thing, and I wanted to help people mm-hmm. understand what the heck is going on so, uh, what's the fellow's name in China? Is it Xi? Is that how you would say his name? Xi? Indeed. Xi and, and Vladimir, they get together and have coffee. What are they talking about, Matthew Arrett? What, what are they, or probably wine or vodka or what, whatever they ta- what are they talking about today? Well, I, I think that they're, they're planning, as Putin has said, uh, revolutionary changes are going to be uh, brought about very shortly. Hmm bigger than people realize and he's not talking about the great reset hmm. he was talking about the collapse of the entire transhumanist neoliberal sort of unipolar order and he, he said it in pretty much those terms wow not maybe not transhumanist but u- unipolar uh, hmm. order yeah. um he did definitely take aim at and for the right reasons um i think that the leadership of eurasia 
are have been looking at this oncoming collapse of the Western system for a very long time and trying that they're at their best to set into motion a framework that would allow for the creation of a new and viable system once that collapse does hit, which would not be under the control of the Anglo-American, you know, psychopaths trying to manage a global one world government. Wow. So I think that their 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 talk is mm-hmm. generally probably vectored around, around that things I- that pertain that to idea. security economic alternatives so if we if we were in a stadium and we needed to take sides because we had too many beers would would we be rooting for russia and china versus klaus i mean is it that simple or would we um klaus schwab in simple terms yeah would you yeah wow i mean Hmm. yeah i mean there's there's fifth columns in both of those countries you know like they got their own battles to to continuously fight um to extract their own deep states but they're but they do have a very very strong battle and and the difference between our nationalist movements here in the west versus their nationalist movements is that their nationalists have done a much better job at extracting the uh (laughs) the agents that have been embedded throughout their governments um whereas we have done a much worse job so and uh, and here the nationalists have really fallen to the wayside. They're swampy where the United States swampy has begun getting a little swampier with the CIA and the FBI and, and everything going on. Yeah. Their, their draining has been much more effective than our draining. Yeah, I see. So I guess <laughs> our, all countries our, have yeah. their own swamp, right? They got their own swamp. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah I don't know of a country that doesn't have some form of swampiness. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, they're... they're that's part of history, and, yeah. and the yeah. the oligarchy doesn't know national boundaries. It's supranational, and it, it it operates above nations, and mm-hmm. has worked to penetrate as in full spectrum fashion, right? Whether it's the cultural uh, policy makers, the military, the the financial side of things, they they just penetrate and penetrate. And uh, in the case of Russia, without you know, they had their own penetrations throughout the Cold War, um, and it really got bad in the nineties when there was a a full-blown amplification of these, you know, transhumanist technocrats who created a new type of structure of controls, which completely, I mean, Dick Cheney himself said that he wanted to, to wipe out Russia, not the Soviet Union, but Russia as a civilizational force in the 90s. His colleagues uh, had written about how they were disturbed listening to Dick Cheney talking about the desire to break up and undo Russia's existence. Huh. Um and that's what Yeltsin was all about. That's why Yeltsin was put in power was to do that, do the job, which is also, I think, why he turned into a mess of a drunk, because it's, you know, as a corrupt person, it's still you don't want to be the guy presiding over <laughs> the destruction of your civilization. But that was his assignment and he didn't handle it well. And I think luckily you had a remix around a, a fellow named Primakov, who was a patriot, a great man in Russia. Who was prime minister at the time and a, and a major influencer over Russian intelligence hmm. who managed to get somebody he saw as very competent uh, to basically be a, tr- a, a troubleshooter, uh, Putin, mm-hmm. which has been now a 23-year battle that Putin has waged against this uh, this cancer. And sometimes he, you know, he often has little victories. Sometimes he has defeats, but there's been a general trend in Russia that we could map out from 1999 to the present. Uh, featuring an extraction and reduction of the power of that 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 uh, that that evil thing, that swamp that had grown in the '90s, that's been reduced in influence, especially since the the developments in Ukraine in February. There's been a, a hyper reduction 
of their influence. As many of those oligarchs, like An- Anatoly Trubai, who's a big, he's the guy who brought in the World Economic Forum, the Davos uh, logic into Russia in the 90s. He was one of the, the key founding fathers of perestroika. He recently escaped Russia to avoid, a, I don't know what he thought he was going to avoid, but he was going to be something he was very afraid of. And he basically went to his mansion in Turkey where he's now living and gave up all of his uh, you know, government jobs that he was still holding on to. Many others have have followed suit with him, um, so that's good. Yeah. That's a good thing. China has yeah. a similar trend. You know, you could talk about the same experience China has had. Yeah. So um, it, it looks like the the big thing with China and Russia would be the whole BRICS thing and being able to work around it being taken away from um, SWIFT and now talking of a a new currency. Right, so the whole monetary thing is a huge deal with Russia, China, right, and BRICS, and maybe uh, Saudi Arabia now. There's rumors that, oh, Saudi Arabia's going to join these dudes. Do you think that's going to happen? It might. Um, it, it, Saudi Arabia has been a, a trophy, um, huh. a, a high-priced trophy um, for the, the multipolar alliance for some time. And I think Saudi Arabia has sort of seen the writing on the wall, as has Turkey increasingly. But um, you know, in the in the they've been useful at providing the support for a geopolitical strategy that really got underway in the late '70s under Zbigniew Brzezinski's helm under Carter, which I think everyone is familiar with to some extent. Operation Cyclone, the create the utilization of radical jihadis, radicalization of Islam. Um, with Wahhabite, you know, madrasas and things of that sort that would be sponsored by the CIA with uh, with help by Wahhabite networks that were part of Anglo-American intelligence in the Gulf states, especially Saudi Arabia was designed to play a key role in facilitating the radicalization of big swaths of the Muslim population as part of this strategy originally to suck in Russia in the, in the 80s. And undermine Russia that way, which is a big new called the greatest success of his career. Hmm. When he was asked, like, was it worth it? Like, now we have, you know, millions and millions of, of, of terrorists around the world because of the strategy you created. Uh, was it worth it? And he said, of course it was worth it. <laughs> he hates Russia that much. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, Saudi Arabia was part of the tool basket. But I think in the grand scheme of the, the type of New World Order agenda, they were promised, you know, certain managerial influential roles that they were uh, told that they would be allowed to play in the Middle East um, and big swaths of Africa um, in that new post nation state system. And I think that they've come to terms with the with the very real fact that ultimately they're much more disposable and not as essential as they thought they were, or as that they were told that they were. And same thing for Turkey with their, you know, greater Turkish imperial Ottoman Empire ideology. That was also not very stable, and and Erdogan got a taste of that when there was a, a CIA-sponsored coup d'état in 2016, uh, which would have seen him deposed, probably killed by the by the what are, what are called the Fatula Gulen networks. Wow. Fatula Gulen's a, a cult leader who's uh, was exiled from Turkey back in 2001. He's living in the United States in a big compound protected by the U.S. Uh, by the State Department. And he's got a massive network of Fabian society models. Um, it's kind of it's kind of like a Freemasonic type of network mm-hmm. embedded in the military and academia and intelligence and media in, in Turkey that were all activated at the same time. Mm. And Russian intelligence got 
uh, some intel to Erdogan like 30 minutes before the thing was going to go down. Whoa. And it gave him the, the amount of uh, wiggle room needed to get onto a helicopter, get into a safe space and see the thing through. Hmm. So the, that, you know, he's alive now because specifically of Russia. Um, I think Saudi Arabia as well. You know, they 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 could see that under the COP27, you know, this whole uh, decarbonization uh, program that anybody who is uh, who has made their influence or their 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 money off of petrochemicals ha- will have no real role to play in the deindustrial anti-carbon society uh, that is supposed to be brought online. So where does that leave Saudi Arabia or other Gulf states whose entire economy is based upon oil uh, and natural gas? So I think that they they have been offered something which is much more attractive to their actual self-interest by Russia and China, both of whom are investing massively in helping Saudi Arabia, at, you know, uh, make the leap into nuclear power, as with the UAE as well. Hmm. Um, there's Bahrain, Oman are looking at the the same sort of orientation. Qatar is still playing a, a bit of a, a dual game, um, but Qatar is also quite friendly with. Well, actually, you know what? Here's the thing. All of these countries who have all been, all of the Gulf states have been sort of set as enemies to Iran, who is a major, you know, power broker in the uh, the entire Southwest Asian zone. They've all been building their diplomatic bridges over the past uh, 12 to 24 months with Iran. So they've re- reactivated emba- uh, embassies that had formerly been shut down in 2015, 16. That's being reactivated. You have economic agreements to build rail. That's the new big thing right now that China is really pushing on because it, it integrates the the Belt and Road Initiative into southern corridors throughout Southwest Asia. Hmm. And there's all sorts hmm. of, of different corridors being opened up that don't just bring rail, but it also brings uh, it, industrial corridors because where you have a new rail initiative, you also have um, new opportunities for building new in- industries, special economic zones, new um, energy corridors that are all being built along the rail si- uh, systems. And with also trans-border rail connections, you have greater chances for um, finding friendships which couldn't exist when you had you know, nations divided and better conquered. They're, they're more easy to be set at each other's throats mm-hmm. when, you, when you keep people divided from each other. Sure. And that's the beauty of the RI approach versus the West. Same thing for Africa. Yeah. So Saudi Arabia might very much it, they they certainly want to be a part of things like the BRICS right now, and yeah. they, and they are moving towards it. Fast. So yeah. so China and Russia, can we say, has a big picture that doesn't include uh, the EU or the United States economically? Well, uh, you know, look, I when you look at the the way that China has organized uh, their economic activity over the past eight years, especially hmm. there has been a constant up until very recently where it's become obvious that the West is currently under the control of something that is not able to negotiate with sanity, but they've always had an open door policy and they've always tried to speak to the better part of the West to say, <laughs> let's work together. It'll don't, why are we, you know, why are we going to war? Why are we saber rattling when we could be making billions of dollars together, building things together at the same time and benefiting all sides? Wow. So they always have had this open policy to work together. And I think they still do. They would rather that happen. But right now, all we're seeing coming out of the West are, you know, attempts to, on the one hand, militarily provoke and, and encircle both Russia and China, which is part of the uh, what's pulling us down the path to, to a danger of nuclear war. And, you know, they're trying to uh, bribe as many countries in Africa and Asia or threaten, bribe and threaten them into 
rejecting BRI friendly projects and instead going going along with stupid idiotic projects like the uh, the the gateway the 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 green belt gateway partnership which is this you know EU US uh, version an anti BRI mega project which has no ability to finance itself it's supposed to be 300 billion dollars of investments into green infrastructure for Africa and, and Asia um, on, so there's no way to actually finance this. All of these countries are bankrupt, and the countries that they're they're that are supposed to be receiving this, um, they kind of know that well. If they just have windmills or solar panels that no, they're building, they're not they, going to survive. They, they're not going to survive. You can't yeah. sustain a heavy industry with any of these things. You're going to be subdued to nothing. So it's not very attractive. It, it almost feels like, um, you know, I guess I could get too judgmental, but that the the people that are doing the Klaus Schwab and the, the New World Order folks and 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 the rest of it in that video I sent you, you know, this other group Rothschild that that they they don't know what they're doing, do they? I mean, it seems like they're just really dysfunctional. Are they? Is that fair or unfair? Yeah, there's. Um, I think there's a certain laziness. Of, uh, of thinking in the in the oligarchical managerial culture um because of having had too many decades of success i think that there's a certain arrogance that has been built uh, up hmm. and if you compare like for example look at henry kissinger right here's a guy he's 99 years old his whole life's legacy is feasibly going to go up and smoke in a nuclear war i think that henry kissinger legitimately doesn't want he never wanted a nuclear war his religion was a religion of stasis um so-called equilibrium which is where he worships is the 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 mm -hmm. uh, the god of stasis and that's what he calls natural sustainable as do many of these malthusians that he was you know a leading figure of when he was most useful in the in the late 60s 70s um he is today a voice of sanity hmm. in the west because henry kissinger he's simply a voice of sanity yeah, the World Economic Forum. He came out saying, yeah. "Look, uh, we we overstepped, we overplayed our our hand, and we've misstepped too many times now. And and Ukraine has to accept now pulling back and accepting a bit of defeat, maybe losing some territory." Um, he said a few things on those lines, and I think part of that is just that he's he unlike the younger generation of technocrats, he actually has a living memory of a world where there was still a much more serious fight that he was a part of where you had to be more creative and more flexible and acknowledge a greater spectrum of reality that you were interfacing with whereas the younger people the ursula vanderleidens you know the the world economic forum young leader graduates since the the early 90s that are now in positions of, of authority in the corporate as well as uh public sectors they are people with no living experience uh, managing anything during a time that wasn't the post-Soviet, post-Cold War age. It's 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 a fictitious age, where, you know, from 1991 it was the end of history. The New World Order was here, and it's now just a matter of consolidating the power for the past 30 years. And they've just been living in that in that uh, cultish mindset. They don't know how to think. They don't know how to look at reality as it is. Whereas older generations like Kissinger are able to still do that, they're they're pragmatic in that sense. It doesn't mean that he's good. It's not it's not like he's saying we got to go along with them. He's simply saying live to fight another day, subvert it from within. Think you know, shift your strategy, 
and maybe we could like get close to them, say nice things about China and Russia. Maybe we could, and that's what Tony Blair also was sort of beginning to touch on in a, in a recent speech that he he gave is simply saying, look, the Eurasian, the, the geopolitical center of gravity has shifted to Eurasia. We have to accept that. Now, he's not saying we have to work with that. He's saying that ultimately we still have to subvert it from within, but uh, we have to not keep on the same um, formula we've been operating on for the past three decades. You got to shift it. So there's a fight, but I think the majority of those currently running, as you pointed out, the the Western system are are they've gotten very stupid, hmm. and you could just see it by look at what they say and what they do. They're hmm. just in a in a in an ivory tower view of the way they think reality is, and it has no bearing on the actual reality that we face that we're living in. And, and look what's happening in in Ukraine. They keep uh, they keep sending billions over there and, and weapons now, and it's like I don't know. Do, you, do they really think they're going to they're going to push Putin back to to Russia? He's not going to go back, is he? He's going to keep going. Looks like. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, most certainly. He's just going to yeah, keep going. It's like this, yeah, you, the Ukrainians are totally disposable cannon fodder, and and many of the most radical uh, idiots, useful idiots in Ukraine, have no idea how disposable they are. You know, like Zelensky's doing Vogue photo shoots I, I with his wife. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're so detached from reality. They're, they're, they're you know, drug dealers always make the point. You don't, you don't use your, you don't use your drugs, right? You don't consume your own product. Yeah. Um, <laughs> these guys have actually started consuming their own. Uh, the drug today is the drug of lies and perception. Yes. That's why Putin calls it the empire of lies. And they, they've, when you start believing the lies that you originally are, are launching and creating for your target victims, but now you start believing them, you're, you're screwed. You're done for. And they're yeah, totally living into but that. But what's the Look point? At Boris Johnson too. Boris Johnson was sent to the front lines yeah. in Ukraine, right, with this idiot helmet on, learning how to like shoot a gun and throw a grenade with other, you know, <laughs> it's it's a joke. Like they're really like into this this uh, yeah. this imagery stuff. But I still don't understand the 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 motive, Matthew Arad, of why they keep this this Ukraine thing going the way they're going, knowing that they're going to lose. Because are they just so uh, egotistical that they can't back out and say we were wrong? Or what do you think? What, what are they're they? They're incapable of negotiating. Yeah, they, they're incapable right now. The, wow. At least those who are, who are shaping Western policy of of self criticism and negotiating um, with human other like actual human beings. Wow. They, they, they they don't have that type of basic mature human infrastructure in their soul that would allow them to have to have that that's scary um so Boy, i think currently when you think about it right that's pretty scary <laughs> These people, yeah, they, yeah. They, yes it is it, it's it's jarring and, and also but it gives it should give one a little bit of hope because i think sometimes we give the oligarchies managers too much credit yes, because sir. they have a lot of power uh they've done a lot of damage making our fellow citizens dumber and dumber over the past decades, you know, they've they've done a lot of evil in this world, killing a lot of good people, overthrowing a lot of governments, creating a lot of injustice. And so yeah. that in, it intimidates and demoralizes a lot of people because we tend to think, oh, they must have the power of the gods mm -hmm. to do all of that and to keep it secret. And it's like, well, they have a lot of power in, in, a, in one way, but in another way, um, they don't have any sustainability factor. Like they can't sustain their own existence because of their own wiring. And it's like that when you look at, that's why I like history so much, is it gives me case studies. I want to know what is the nature of this beast? 
it, because maybe, maybe here's the theory. Okay. <laughs> maybe they have real secret knowledge known only to the inner elites. Maybe that they have special knowledge that we don't have access to. And that's what motivates them to do what they do. And, um, and, and maybe it's superior than us. And we don't understand why it's necessary to do evil. You know, a lot of people think that, and, and sometimes it's attractive to, to entertain that hypothesis. Oh. But then if you look at every single time in world history that this oligarchy, which has been around for a long time, has achieved their ultimate goals of consolidating their power into a unipolar sort of small executive, and they've destroyed their their opposition, which is most of the world's population, most of their 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 target their target victims ability to defend themselves they destroy themselves too so it's really a parasite that just moves fit geographically from one place to another and every time it it finds a new host it can do not but destroy the host and then it, the the parasite doesn't do well they kind of go into their own crisis the oligarchy goes through these phases where they you know when they when they hmm. go into such crises like they did in the third or 14th century little dark age which saw a massive collapse of population population levels in Europe, or earlier, you know, the the collapse of the Rome, the Western Roman Empire. Hmm. Um, what you see is massive infighting within the oligarchy's inner circles. Some families are have their throats slit and are, are thrown into, you know, the the lagoons. Other, you know, new blood come in that have a little bit more of a cutthroat creative edge, and they they take control of a of a certain fondy, you know, a family fund that maintains continuity over many generations. Um, but yeah, you you got a lot of infighting. They're, 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 they coordinate. Oligarchs will tend to co cohere their uh, themselves into a conspiracy of you know you know it's a handful of families that go back a few thousand years, uh, by all evidence that I'm looking at, and uh, and and they'll they'll collaborate to the degree that it's no longer expedient, and that collaboration will end as soon as opportunities for getting internal advantage uh, wow. are gotten or they or they create a crisis yeah. uh, for themselves oh, by, by destroying like a host. I think that's what Tom is asking. Thanks for having Matthew back on. I always enjoy it when he comes on. So I'd like to know who is Klaus Schwab's boss? Um, so, you know, you were getting to that. I mean, he, he has... I mean, this has been going on a long time. The, the forces that even created the World Economic Forum and this other thing that I... The Council on Inclusive Capitalism. I sent you that video with the, the Rothschild people. Who 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 are the the people that are that are pushing Klaus around, telling him what to do? Are these the people you're talking about, Freemason types or whatever? They've been around three, four, five, six hundred years. These, this whole crowd, energy families. Or yeah, what? I mean, look, I, I recently did a piece for Whitney Webb's Unlimited Hangout oh, yeah, um, that cool. people can read February. And uh, and it goes through the uh, the Rhodes Scholarship uh, and Bilderberger uh, institutions hmm. as sort of the, um, the the creators of the World Economic Forum and the young leader leaders um, form as junior branches of the older Bilderberger uh, group and you know roundtable mm -hmm. scholar operations that were set into well the road the road scholar mo uh, operation was set into motion in 1902 uh along with a think tank called the round table which you know became in the united states the council on foreign relations as the british uh branch of chatham house um 1921 
you know, both Chatham House, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which was what the roundtable created under, you know, in 1919, um, was designed to fulfill the 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 thesis or the the manifesto put forth by Cecil Rhodes in his, um, I think it's the, his seventh, no, his first will in 1877, which sort of is the, the constitution for this new epoch in uh, British imperial affairs to um, reconquer the United States, hmm. you know, create a new global government is what he calls for, a new religion of the British Empire, and um, a variety of other things that are pretty nasty. <laughs> and so that itself, I mean, Cecil Rhodes was a genocidal psychopath uh, who made it a lot of money raping Africa and creating things like De Beers, you know, which is still a major uh, exploiter of the, Africa to this diamond, very day. Yeah, the Diamond Company. Yeah. Diamond Company, yeah. Uh, Kind of froze you up a bit. Um, and he worked with a bunch of Milner's kindergarten. Lord uh, Milner, Alfred Milner, was a key figure in that one, working closely with with Rhodes. Um, sorry, it's like my internet is unstable. Do you, do you still hear me or see me? I, I can see you. You froze up for a minute, but you're fine. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. So this was not the. It, it's not like this was. Some people say it's a Cecil Rhodes conspiracy. That, that used his fortune after he died to create and put online the, these international think tanks and, uh, and Rhodes scholarship programs to brainwash young talent, to create a new uh, army of technocrats that would have this religion of population control, religion of Hobbesian uh, unipolarism that would animate their hearts and minds. Um, it wasn't really a Cecil Rhodes uh, conspiracy. He was a useful tool um, but above him, a lot of the money came from some of these older uh, black nobility families of Europe. People like, you know, um, I mean, the Rothschild banks were a big uh, backer in, in putting this into motion, as were some older families, too. Because keep in mind, even the Rothschilds are still sort of a newer family. It's a, it's a newer mercenary family hmm. brought online in the, in the mid-18th century. I mean, this oligarchical um, satanic parasite goes far before the Rothschilds here. Way, way back. Um, so, way back, yeah. I mean, they, they use some of these mercenary families that exhibit skill sets. Um, and they, you know, if, if you if you do a, a good job on behalf of your masters throughout, you know, over an, enough decades, you can be rewarded with minor or higher degrees of um, family privileges that you're, such that your children, your grandkids will be rewarded a certain dynastic set of privileges that they will inherit. Um, but they're all still tools of a certain control center, hmm. a mechanism that that ultimately dispose of them if you have, let's say, a renegade uh, son or two, um, as I think we saw with the Kennedys. Um, you can you can ultimately dispose of the, the dynasty, re revoke the privileges. Wow. We've seen examples of that um, historically now and again. And, Ma and Matthew, um, they can do this because of the intertwined... A financial thing with banking and World Bank, Vatican, uh, Big Pharma, Big Agri, all kind of together like a giant squid and into politics. They just have a lot of their their fingers in a lot of different areas, right? And that's how they well, do it. They'll corrupt anything that they can touch. That's how they but do I mean, it. Yeah. Whether it's, yeah, and, and you'll find, I think that approaching it, trying to piece this together mm -hmm. using a bottom-up approach of like peeling back the onion layers is sort of exhausting and usually there's a lot of um, hmm. um uh, traps along the way to give you at, at a certain point a false 
a direction. Hmm. Uh, a de- decoys are set up, like, and by decoy, I mean false models are created to move <laughs> the the mind of an of an open minded thinker into zanier and zanier directions to try to uh, get them away from a causal nexus, hmm. which is ultimately very easily visible from the top down. If you look at world history from the top um, as your primary point, you could sort of see it a little bit more in terms of, well, what's the common denominator of this oligarchical mm-hmm. modality? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are certain constants which deal with, um, hmm. we'll actually put that on, on pause. That's that's actually a whole, I realize it's a can of worms I'm opening up, but there are, there are universal common denominators that are always uh, available to the mind to see very clearly and simply. And it's ultimately a, a much more, um, there, there's points of, of, of Achilles heels, uh, points of weaknesses within that, that structure of controls, which great people, whether it's St. Augustine or earlier Cicero or Plato before that hmm. and Socrates or afterwards, um, people like Thomas More, Erasmus of Rotterdam uh, were capitalizing on that would, uh, with very, with relatively minimal energy input, they would be able to take down big structures of oligarchical control because there is a certain foundation of sand in this thing, which is why they can't even sustain their own existence for very long after they succeed, like I said, in achieving what they want. But back to your original question on Klaus Schwab, mm-hmm. um, or the uh, Tom, I guess Tom yeah, is his yeah. name, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Klaus Schwab himself, if it wasn't him, it would be somebody else. He's not a, 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 a creator of anything. Um, he himself was a student who had a certain talent that was uh, discovered by Henry Kissinger at Harvard. His family connections also with Nazi high intelligence and uh, are, are, are available. That's that's questionable. Uh, but but he himself was used, you know, he was trained by Kissinger at Harvard in 66 in a CIA-sponsored program. Um, they saw that he had the right stuff. And um, and Kissinger himself was an early Bilderberger. Um, he wasn't a founding member, but he was an early member in the late 50s. And the Bilderberger group was sort of, I think, the place that you want to get at as far as the fu- the mothership of the, the World Economic Forum as something that gets you a little bit closer because that was set up by... Prince, you know, a Bernhard of the Netherlands, a former high-level Nazi official, um, who was part of the ruling inner nobility. Like he, he's part of a family lineage that goes back, I, I think, probably to the, we're talking here, seventh century or so. Wow. Um, wow. You know, uh, not Carolingian, but a, a Merovingian. Anyway, you, you've you've got some some family bloodlines that probably even go back further than that, probably into. Uh, in many cases, Babylonian uh, oligarchical castes. Um, hmm. But all that to say, that gets you a little bit closer because if you look at the the coterie who set themselves up in 1954 around the Bilderberger Group, it was sort of the the think tank of think tanks, or one of the key think tanks that would be a, 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 a zone highly secretive where participants of this broader conspiracy to undo the American Revolution, undo the Golden Renaissance which had preceded the American Revolution, um, which all had within them the certain, like the U.S., what's the commonality between the U.S. Revolution and Constitution, you know, as well as the Golden Renaissance of the 15th century Italy? The, the common theme is that man is made in the image of God. All yes. human beings are, have souls that, are in, that have thus inalienable, inalienable rights embedded within us because we, we have these attributes which are distinctly human, 
independent of what family we're born into, which gives us the ability to not only discover God's creation, but in so doing that, we discover something subjectively within ourselves, which is objectively true. So we can bridge the objective subjective yes, divide yes. when we're being creative and loving. And we know ourselves more. That's what Socrates was saying when he said, know thyself. Before mm -hmm. you're allowed to get into politics, he said to all of his students, um, including Plato, who made this the, the, the first rule of his academy, is you have to know geometry and know thyself. And mm -hmm. then when you have those two things, because, you know, he, as he said in the, in, the, in the front piece of the academy, let no one who does not know geometry enter these doors. And what he meant is he, wasn't mean, he didn't mean the type of geometry you and I learned in our Western schools. He was talking about spherics, astronomy, harmonics, real constructive geometry, and which angles. is based upon how it's all. Yeah, yeah, it's making yeah. discoveries like like discover how do you construct um, the doubling of a square, the doubling of a triangle, the the doubling of a of a sphere. Uh, sorry, of a of a of a cube, hmm. of a volume. How does that apply to astronomical observations? That's real. That's how dis that's that's how geometry was was developed. Right. The crap we are given is reverse engineering bullshit that has you memorizing <laughs> formulas with no knowledge, right? Uh, and that'll be forty thousand so, a year, right? That'll be forty thousand a year. <laughs> so yeah, okay. I mean that's that's it. No, that's the American Revolution. That's yeah. that's what the oligarchy wants to undo. I got it. Yeah, Matthew Arrett is with us. Matthew, you stay right there. We're going to take a little break here and uh, talk about a few, a few of our products, and we'll be back. And if you care to join the show, 800-LINE is open. 888-663-6386. Email patrick1radionetwork.com. Think I need some water? Hang. Excuse me for that, but... Uh, it has not rained here in Texas for a long time. Just want to give you a quick plug of how we do our thing here. At this point, you know, we, we're just not um, smart enough geeky-wise to do all this stuff. I mean, we could do it, and I just, I just, I don't know, I'm just brain dead. So as long as we can continue to have your support with promoting the products that we do, you purchase them and we, we make a commission on them, and it works, and... If I have food and my pay my house payment and and I'm good and so so go to our website oneradionetwork.com. You're going to see some really really good products. So Thrival, it's a great company we've been working with for 12 years, 13 really. Uh, Pearlseum, it's a wonderful product. Brush your teeth and uh, some calcium. The AquaCure machine, it's Brown's gas. You breathe the hydrogen. Uh, it's a, it's a wonderful technology that I've been doing for um, three years now, and it'll really float your boat and help you to stay young and supple and stuff. It's AquaCure, 20% off, promo code 1radio. Uh, an emailer uh, sent me a message today wanting to know how often I breathe the hydrogen gas, and I told him, oh, I go downstairs, and when I'm riding or exercising or whatever, reading, I'll breathe the hydrogen. I got to do more. And he wrote back and I said, well, how many hours? And so I just wrote back and said, hours upon hours upon, just do it. Just breathe it as much as you can and uh, you'll be happier. Uh, we have the organic sulfur 
We have Shen Blossom, which is a wonderful company, Chinese medicine, all the, uh, you know, like 50-year-old ginseng. These are really top of the line, top of the line uh, people. The Relax Far Infrared Sauna, which is, we think it's one of the best ones ever. It is uh, made from a medical university in Taiwan. And I guess if China doesn't take them over and crush them or something, we'll keep them doing that one. So we have a lot of, <laughs> oh God, we got a lot of great products and it's on oneradionetwork.com and that's how we do it. People also send us some, some uh, donations and if you feel like doing that, if you don't need any products, send us 10 bucks a month, you have a way to do that. So that's a simple way we do it here on oneradionetwork.com. So thanks for your support. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. See, Matthew, that was easy. You just took people to go on our website and buy products. See, it works like that. That's great. We have a lot of, really, a lot of nice products. So, um, I, I guess um, all of us are hearing you today. Why would we think that it's possible that this whole energetic thing that's been building as you say forever wanting to take over the world one world government do all the things that the world economic forum are talking about why would we come to the conclusion that they're they're just not going to be able they're not going to do it um it's just gonna they're they're gonna crash and burn somewhere along the line right after all these years how could that happen I mean, is it, would it be China, Russia, and the rest uh, to take them on? Are they the saviors there? Well, I think that um, from, from my standpoint, mm. my assessments by investigating uh, a lot of history, I, I'm, I, I'm really quite passionate about studying history. Um, and that, that's, the, that's why all of my books are all different, tackling different aspects of universal history. Um, what I'm seeing as a constancy, and I, I mentioned that there is this common denominator um, amongst the, both the oligarchy as well as their opposing faction, those who actually do good and oppose the oligarchy successfully, is that there's two fundamentally different ways of thinking about the universe and human beings as part of the universe made in the a self-reflective image of what the universe actually is and the universe's creator. Mm. Um, ultimately, when you get down to it, like I said, Kissinger's religion is stasis. That's his view of the universe, is that the universe is ultimately a static universe and that what, what, seems, to be non uh, what seems to be changing within that universe of no change as normalcy is unnatural. To the degree that the, the things which change the most are the things that are the most unnatural. Hmm. And so what changes the most, when you look at, let's say, you know, ecosystems and human human activity um on the earth ecosystems change more than non-ecosystems right like rocks and non-living atoms are the least changing look at the moon yeah. the moon has no signs uh, as far as we can tell of any um biomass and it's a pretty boring place there's not a lot of cycling of carbon or any type yeah. of, you know you get activity when an asteroid hits um, but otherwise, it's a pretty boring place. Um, when you you look at uh, something like a jungle, um, you know there's there's more cycling, more photosynthesis, more chlorophyll, more 
interesting motion, right? There's more creativity, more new species are everything, coming online. Yeah, everything. Yeah, everything is changing. But then with human beings on the scene as a sort of newer phenomenon within that process, whereas when we're being creative and we're thinking in a loving way about the future and leaving something better for our, our, the unborn grandkids mm. and, 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 you know, to, to experience that was better than our, our, uh, what we had in our lives, what we're doing is we're not only making things better for ourselves, but also for them. Wow. We're, we're, we're changing nature a lot. That's why we can have 8 billion of our, of our species living. If we wanted to, we could be, you know, we could have an, a 90 plus year easy life expectancy, everybody, and have everybody living with abundance, all 8 billion people on this earth. That if we wanted to, it wouldn't be that hard to yeah, do. Wouldn't be hard. It's just that there's political will to, to, to not do that. Right. Um, I agree. So yeah. that involves uh, this this creative mentation that expresses itself in, in an ever-increasing array of eurekas of discoveries of the laws of nature that were there before us, but we can discover them and then willfully change our modality in accordance with that new discovery such that, you know, when you discover the laws of aerodynamics, you can become now more obedient to those discovered laws, but at the same time, you have an increased freedom to fly, yeah. right? So as we choose, and this is the irony of this freedom paradox, uh, freedom duty paradox problem that's been, you know, giving headaches to philosophers for thousands of years. It's not that much of a paradox. It's it's like when you, when you discover something truthful through a creative act, you can then willfully o- obey and obedience is seeming the opposite of, of freedom, but now you're obeying laws, but you have an increased power and freedom to now do something that you couldn't do while you were ignorant of those of said of those laws. laws of those those yeah, of, in, yeah, inherent laws. Discover sort of laws of of yeah of, of oceanic uh, currents. You can now all of a sudden use your knowledge of those laws to move from one side of the ocean to the other in a much more fast time than if you were trying to like you know uh, sail against the currents. So there's like these natural patterns in the oceans, right? Of of you know north south sure. uh, cycling that you use as, as a ship that gives you a power of mobility, knowledge of electricity, same thing. So the oligarchy, um, they see that we are made in the image of a, or they are believe they believe without reason because they know that they know ultimately that their belief is is demonstrably false, <laughs> which is where the lies come in, <laughs> and this is what makes them kind of self contradictory because they have to subvert to maintain their thesis that human beings are like, just like any other talking cow that has to obey limits to our existence, just like the animals in the biosphere. You know, when the, when the, when the, the, when the rabbits, there's a, let's say you have a rainy season one season and you have more rabbits that will accommodate the increased abundance of food. Well, the next season, all of a sudden you get a drought. What, what happens to the rabbits? Well, the mommies eat the babies. You know, the baby rabbits die. They either starve to death or they get eaten by their, by their brothers or moms. And uh, the, the population levels sort of calibrate according to the scarcity of, of the drought-ridden you know, ecosystem. Now, you don't put the mommy rabbits in, in prison or anything. You don't put them in jail for eating their kids. You know, that's not what you do because they're rabbits. They don't know any better. They're wired to do what they do as rabbits. You know, human beings, when we start eating our fellow humans, that's a problem, that's a problem. because we could have done otherwise, right? We had this ability to have a conscience to think of other scenarios to, to problem solve. And so we didn't have to do what we did. Um, so the oligarchy knows that for us to become convinced that we have those same, um, constraints that other species do, which is what people like Kissinger or any neo Malthusian club of Rome, all of they want us to believe, to know yeah. Yeah. yeah, live, live with scarcity, live with less, eat the yeah. bugs, yeah. whatever. Yeah. 
um, yeah. they, they know at the same time that they're they're sabotaging they're killing scientists who are making pioneering discoveries. They're sabotaging lines of science that they know are fruitful, that will lead to greater abundance and discoveries. So they know that they're actually lying, that they're running contrary to the laws of nature to convince us that nature is actually something that it is not. So I think hmm. when I look at today, okay, Russia, China, you know, the multipolar right. uh, <laughs> orientation versus the unipolar basket case society that we happen to be stuck in right now. Um, if I look at what they're doing, don't just look at what they're saying, because sometimes you'll get similar words. You know, when I listen to sometimes words being used by leading figures like Putin or in China or even in Iran, they'll say things that are similar to the words being used by the Schwabians of the West. Like they'll say we need a, a sustainable order. We need uh, a new world economic order. They'll say things like that. They'll say we need global cooperation. Well, everyone says that. But what are you doing? Right. Is there a difference in how you're thinking about the nature of the words and their purpose that that indicates a different view of human beings and and uh, the universe as a whole? Yes, very very big difference. This is where you start. This is why I read I in my, a lot of my articles. Mm -hmm. I try to map out for people what is the new Silk Road. What are the 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 nearly four trillion dollars spent in only you know what a decade? Um, on the biggest mega projects ever seen in human civilization's experience, Whoa. both in Asia as well as in Africa, like that's going on as we speak, you Whoa. know. Four trillion um, dollars. Four trillion dollars. Yeah, it's like we're at three point six trillion dollars thus so far. So you're talking about infrastructure, roads, uh, rail, all kinds of things. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like in the in the Belt and Road, you have uh, it's a very flexible uh, policy because it's not rigid. Oh, let me just my my thing is getting out of focus here. Yeah, I, stop. I saw you. Uh, there, there you go. go. It's not, it's, it, you have general uh, macro concepts for arteries of interconnectedness mm -hmm. with high-speed rail as a driver um, oh. from east to west, but also with north to south. There's the north-south uh, transportation corridor stretching all the way from the, the Arctic above St. Petersburg down all the way through the, the Central Asian uh, regions, through mm. Azerbaijan, Turkey, um, Iran, um, wow. along the way down all the way to the coast of Iran, with branches now in ports that then connect directly into India, as well as Pakistan and China. So that's part of this developing uh, complex of, of east-west corridors now that have the north-south divide. The east-west also have a north one along the maritime component of the Silk Road that's seen new ports, massive ports all around the Gulf states, Africa, wow. uh, Latin America being built. China has, has invested in something like 50 strategic uh, Ibero-American ports. Which is why, you know, when they're offering development um, investments into uh, Africa or, or Latin America, they're being embraced ardently. I mean, we're being told by, you know, mainstream press that it's all debt trap imperial diplomacy. When you actually look at what they're doing, unlike the West, they're actually ensuring that the loans that they're providing to those countries that have been subjugated to empire for the past, you know, yes, sir. 200 plus years. They're actually making sure that they're, those monies are going towards building massive infrastructure and also training cadres of engineers in Nigeria, really? Kenya, wow. Sudan. Who, like, and we're we're criticizing China for saying, oh, but they're using their own uh, Chinese workers, or they're not letting the local Congolese or Nigerian uh, population have managerial positions in these big projects that they're building. So it's like, yeah, it's nice that they're building schools and hospitals and infrastructure, but they're not letting the locals uh, run them. And it's like, 
well, first of all, the locals have been abused and destroyed. They don't have the, the skill sets to or knowledge to run those things. But the difference is they're actually training hundreds of thousands of people in these countries to be to get those skill sets. They're providing, I think it's something like, hmm. what was it? I think 27,000 Africans were given free scholarships to train in the highest quality wow. um, educational wow. facilities in China to then be sent back and become the managers of tomorrow. These guys really so know what they're doing. They really know what they're doing. It's not I mean, like they're angels. Yeah. They're not doing no, this. No, no, I understand. Just, but so here we are in the United place. States and Canada with potholes, yeah. and we have governments that are just borrowing money and pissing it away. Excuse my French. You know, like, I don't know. I mean... Are we going to have to learn uh, Mandarin or, or Russian here to survive? I mean, what are we going to do? These people are crazy that are controlling the United States. And you, I don't know what's going on with Trudeau in Canada. He's just not a, he's just, that's where you live, right? You're in Canada. So, I mean, yeah. so what are we going to do, Matthew? I mean, just wait for them just to implode and then pick up the pieces? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't, I mean, I think that um, we have to have, I think, on the one hand, uh, we have to be more rigorous with our thoughts and feelings. Uh -huh. um, I think that's that's one thing. People get a little bit too into a hysterical mode where they want just to take action without having won or Plan. learned, I should say, the knowledge yeah. um, first to animate the action, which creates a bit of a mess. That's, why you, it's that's why you do what you do, to try to help people see what's going on so we could have a real plan yes. right a real plan you know yeah you want people you could trust like good conspiracies are how history is shaped for good or for bad and the and the thing <laughs> about both approaches is that they're they they require competence competence and a network of people you can trust who have a similar set of thoughts and feelings yes sir that they have all yes. come to that they can put into motion now that could again, if you got people with rotten, poisonous thoughts and feelings that and power to to put something into motion, you can get something rotten out of that. And inversely, if you get a Ben Franklin, who's able to organize uh, cadres of qualified leaders in the scientific and as well as civilian uh, worlds to be trustworthy, they could trust each other. They could beat to the same frequency, um, hmm. and you could trust them to be creative to go off on their own. Right? Like you, you have to allow for that amount of creativity because sometimes you're going to send people to do something. And you don't have the answers. You don't know what they're what they're going to encounter. Yeah. But you have to have the sense that okay, they have an ability to make good judgments. They have wisdom that they've earned, and you could trust their that they won't uh, backstab you and they won't misstep unnecessarily or get get people in danger. Because you you know, good-hearted people with with soft minds can make a lot of can fall for a lot of traps that get a lot of people killed. Yeah. So you know. That's, I think, one of the things that we we tend to lack an appreciation of is the 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 climb of you know, towards the pursuit of, and love of wisdom. Um, that's the one thing. So understanding our history, understanding what what Plato was saying in his dialogues, and especially like, why was he saying, you know, no geometry before you start getting your mind into politics? You got to really like learn how your mind moves when it's being fruitful, learn humility, because you got to think, well, there's hypotheses you have, you, you might think you know the answers to basic things that when you actually try to test them out, like do the construction, you realize, oh, you, you were wrong, you like me. You know, I that was a big a, a humbling point for me early on when I was um, uh, trying to figure things out in my my early wake up days. I uh, I was into a lot of you know uh, sacred geometry. I was trying to make sense of Freemasonry, and I, but I didn't have a, a I didn't have a method. Hmm. 
And so it was only at one point where I encountered um, an astronomy group and somebody threw a challenge at me about, because I was talking about, you know, the golden section and, it, and its power and, and, you know, the Pentagon and its power. And I had all of these opinions and somebody threw the challenge asking me like, hey, can you build it? And I'm like, what do you mean? Can I build it? They're like, can you, can you construct the Pentagon? You're, you're like, can you, can you take the circle and within that circle, make five equal, provably equal divisions using this compass and divide that circle into five equal segments, you know? What you need to do if you're going to build the Pentagon, and, and to do that, you have to kind of know the golden section right. to figure out where do you make correct incision. And I realized very quickly I didn't actually know how to do that. And so all of the words I was using, I, and, and at first I thought I did. I just drew it. I was like, okay, here's my here's my ruler. I'm going to draw it. And they're like, obviously, you just you just eyeballed it. Like <laughs> that, that's not knowledge. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> so I and I I spent weeks agonizing over how do I figure this out wow. and, I, and I had to realize all of these blank spots that I had in my head uh, these that I had to fill out by making little mini discoveries along the way so that when I finally did come up with my Eureka my it was mine I owned it um, and I think a lot of people let, as part of our bad education system we were not given those opportunities because we were always told get the right answer right you know yeah memorize what's the answer what's the answer, answer? yeah, like, yeah, what's yeah. The question yeah what was the question? <laughs> like, what, what was Pythagoras thinking when he was trying to figure out the the right angle triangle? Like, and, and why the hypotenuse squared is the same uh, as the right. uh, the addition of the the two smaller sides squared? What? How? Did, that's not obvious. What was he thinking? Let's reproduce his discovery. Let's ask his questions. You know. You know, uh, anyway. Matthew. I've had I have an anecdotal story about this, which is, to me is the most exciting thing I've done my life this lifetime. You know, I just fell on the radio and somebody gave me a microphone and I just started talking and, you know, I went to Armed Forces Radio School and they told you how to talk, you know, whatever. But now I've been screenwriting, learning it for 20 years and over the last two or three years really digging into it and just learning it. And, I'm, you know, after a while you can really believe that you can learn this. You know, I say this to myself. I, you know, I can do this. I can figure this out. I can watch films and see how they do it. I can listen to people, how they do it. I listen to all these videos. I read books. And if you look at anything long enough and, and have enough passion and focus mm-hmm. and think about it, you know, like you're saying, and just, well, how does that work? Why does that work? Why does that angle do here? Why does the, 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 the you know, why does this work when you use this word? You can figure it out and you can figure anything out, Right. I, I'm going to learn how to do this and make a living at it and make some good movies. I know I can do it. It might take, I don't care how long it takes, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And you just keep doing it until just like you're doing with this whole thing. It's exciting. First time I've ever really done this in my life. You know, in school, I didn't know anything. You know, I say, like you say, what's the answer to this? I didn't know what I was doing. Isn't that fun? Right, right, right. It's really exciting. Yeah, I'm just. It is. Woo. But I think that that's, that, yeah. that's where I, I think you get um more more authenticity you know when when um hmm. <clears throat> like a lot of the people who have made a lot of the greatest breakthroughs in knowledge are not people who are necessarily specialized in the particular field that no. they made the breakthrough they in. just dug uh, in I remember, right? yeah. yeah like what was his name um oh i forget there, there's a, a really great um i think he's australian uh oh i'm forgetting his name shoot but he's a really great agronomist um, who discovered very simple and holistic techniques for uh, greening deserts. Hmm. Um, uh, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, he made a, a point in a little speech that the, the greatest candle makers 
of Europe would not have been able to make the discovery of the of the light bulb. You know, they were so hyper specialized in wax, in wick making, and and they they didn't have their minds flexible enough to make such such a discovery of electricity and the nature of, of electric currents. <laughs> Um, ben Franklin had no specializations. He had a great three education. He just had a, a a heart that was wired, was tuned to wanting to make discoveries like like Da Vinci, right? Like right. Da Vinci was people people say, oh, but that, those guys were from the past. They were they were the products of their age, and we're in another age now where we produce mediocrity. We don't produce people like that anymore. And it's like, wait a minute, maybe the age itself is made by people. Maybe the age is not what determines us. Maybe it's people who make the age. I you think know? so. I think so. And, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's it's a, it, when you when you switch it up a little bit mentally, you are you you open up vistas of potential inside of yourself because you're like, wow, maybe despite the fact that I'm living in a in a in a in a crappy mediocre age of insanity, <laughs> maybe I can do something. Maybe within myself. Exactly. I could do whatever I, I set my mind to. Maybe I could activate whatever type of, of uh, discoveries I want in, in sure. anything. And nothing could stop. And me as well. Like, yeah, nothing. And, and yeah. you know, this idea of change, I, I, would, I wrote myself a little note here. Can we argue then that the, the biggest change kind of thing that these people don't like is Matthew and Patrick and our listeners who are souls, spiritual beings, if you will, being creative and doing stuff. This is what they, they keep thinking that People don't have free will, right? I've heard some of those speeches with the number two dude under Klaus, and he just talks about like, no, no, you don't, you can't do what you want. You know, you're not, you're not spiritual beings. You're not sparks of God. You are, I don't know, you're something else. This is the, this is the real change they don't want, right? Talking about the Yuval, Yuval Harari. Yeah, whatever this. Did you ever, do you ever hear that speech? He talks about that. This guy's crazy. I've I've heard a lot of his speeches. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of his big themes. But, yeah. you know, the, the irony, the self-contradiction of, of guys like that is that he'll still say that even though we don't have free will and there is no God right. and there is no reason or purpose in the universe, <laughs> um, he's basically saying, but now there is because we discovered this whole time that we are the gods. Ah, we're and by the gods. we, it's like the, 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 the golden-collared elites at Davos that he works for. We are the ones who are going to shape the new trajectory of evolution and natural selection as we select what type of attributes are going to be programmed into the next generations yeah. of test tube babies and computers that are supposed to become you know better than human thinking machines um you know it, it's these people are ultimately pathetic and when you listen to them there's a certain like misanthropic pitiful uh angst in him the mm. self-hating feeling that you gotta you gotta feel for the guy as a, as a pathetic they gotta be character. they gotta be miserable Let, uh, let's do a few other uh, random emails before we go so this is from victoria does your guest <laughs> i'm really enjoying the show thank you does your guest think that the weather is manipulated this weather going on with all this heat doesn't make sense to me and they're blaming on, on global warming like climate change if you listen to npr the bbc all these places this all this heat wave is is climate change this is boom, boom. Do you th- have you any evidence? I mean, I think these people can control it, but I don't know. I've never knew enough the harp and all okay. that. Well, yeah, like I, I try to approach these sorts of questions yeah. from the standpoint of I speak about what I know and what right. I feel like I've earned. I can speak about it, and I will, I will say something on this, but I will also refrain from speaking about things that are, that are too speculative that I, I don't know for sure. I agree. Um, now, the fact is global warming is we're being 
told or as it's being framed as something caused by human beings and, and our carbon dioxide emissions, that's, that's bunk. That's pseudoscientific crap. It's purely, it's the same type of logic that has been used uh, to create selective data sets to, that they put into computer models that give you the outcome you, that the programmers of the computer model wanted who ignored all of the data sets that demonstrated that their, their outcome was wrong that the world is actually heading towards um, an ice age, not global warming. We actually stopped. There's been a global warming pause um, back in 1999 that, it's, that that pause began. And it's disrupted all predictive models that had happened, hmm. that had all you know, foreseen that we would be, you know, the ice caps would be gone by 20, 2010. Um, none of that stuff you know, happened. We'd all be underwater. <laughs> none of it happened. And none of that happened. None of it happened. Um, and, and so... The, the 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 lie there is the same line that's being used in the or the same methodology being used to convince us that you know um, this this pathogen this 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 medical emergency that's shut down civilization for two and a half years it has caused all of these deaths it's it's just statistical data manipulation yes, and sir. outright lies and that's that's all it is yes so I can say that's for sure as far as ionospheric manipulation using tech like you see from harp harp um that definitely exists for sure um you know the the ionosphere um which is like a hundred miles um above the upper atmosphere of um it's like an ionized gas which which is sort of the the protective zone between intergalactic cosmic radiation and uh living processes on the earth it's um it's it's that's what shapes El Nino. It's what shapes all climate patterns, you know, atmospheric river systems. Like, hmm. I mean, half of the world's fresh water is not in liquid format on the Earth's surface um, in seas or lakes. It, most of it is is actually in gaseous format in atmospheric rivers. You can see images wow. from So you really you know, understand this stuff. You've looked into this. That's pretty, yeah. I've, I've looked into some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah and, and I mean, if you want to, most of it tends to be the product of evaporation over oceans. So the salt stays in the ocean. The the freshwater part mm -hmm. becomes gas that goes into the the atmospheric rivers, but then it cycles directly from the ocean back. It rains down into the ocean and and doesn't really participate usually in biospheric activity. Some of it does, but most of it doesn't. It's just from the ocean back into the ocean. Hmm. So what we do know on a constructive level, there just like everything, right? Everything can be a double edged sword depending on your intention and your your uh, idea animating it. Like a, a hammer can can build a house or kill your your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Same thing. There there's actually um, networks of very good problem solvers using this knowledge and what they've done in various ways in Australia, in the Middle East, um, even in Mexico. There's certain regions where they they've been able to take relatively affordable um, a, 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 a tennis, antennas that are tuned to that that emit a certain electromagnetic pulse into the ionosphere such that it will attract the atmospheric rivers to come inland into desert regions and cause that rain wow. to fall into the desert to create food and other biospheric mass growth now that's a positive use it's of pretty it. cool and it has been used yeah that's pretty good um then you have the military industrial complex side of things which is again where you start looking into harp um, which was managed by, I, I think it still is the main contractor that manages Harp is uh, British Aerospace, which was a company that has been behind. They had their hands all over 9-11. Hmm. Um, and um, it, it's, it's, an, it's a British uh, arms, arms dealer, the biggest one, I think, out there. 
or, or military industrial firm. And, uh, and so they manage harp. And uh, I'm sure that you can create droughts. You can pull water away that would normally be raining over land masses and ensure that you could pull it away and make sure that that water now just rain over the ocean instead of over the land that it was going to rain in. Is that possibly something that's been underway in California and, and Texas? Possibly. Could, could be. Probably. Honestly. If I had that technology and I was evil, I would use it that way. <laughs> if I was an evil guy, I would do that. <laughs> um, uh, create the big type of things like... Uh, Huh? <laughs> you know, yeah, if I was evil, I'd, <laughs> <laughs> I'd do that, man. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but, and, and so, um, you know, there's other things. Like, I know that there's been droughts way before this technology came around. You know, sure. if you look at the history of weather patterns, there, there have been devastating droughts in the 1920s that wiped out so much farmland. Uh, thousands of people died of starvation in the United States in the late 20s and, and early 30s. Um, that was without harp technology. That was happening anyway. And, and I think a lot of the stuff, you got to look at astroclimatology. There, there are really good networks of, of scientists who are real scientists who are really looking at the, mm. the flow of weather patterns shaped by solar activity and galactic activity, the input of, of intergalactic cosmic rays, which today are reducing because, oh, I think I just froze. No, you're you back. Hear me? You're, yeah, you're back. I'm back, okay. Like today, right now, there's an anomaly. I'm on a space weather uh, website, and, and there's an anomaly where uh, all across the, the Earth's surface, there's a reduction of intergalactic cosmic rays. That's also coinciding with an increased activity of of um, sunspots. Of uh, no? sunspots, yeah, yeah. Uh, coronal mass ejections, which also are tied to an electromagnetic field. So when that magnetic field, which is a pulsing field around the sun, reduces in activity or reduces in power, the protective zone around the earth right is because it, it protects that that magnetic field stops interstellar cosmic rays which are saturating our galaxy it, it's it's there's cosmic rays everywhere and there's no empty space it's all a saturated ocean of cosmic rays you can't pick up with your eyes but they're very active they're they're integral to the process of evolution like anti-darwinian evolution hmm. as as evolution is actually happening it's being shaped by these processes it's also shaping weather systems ice ages things like that and when you have lower cosmic rays coming into the lower atmosphere, you have less cloud seeding. Because we've known by the work by um, a Dutch scientist named uh, Heinrich Spensmark. There's a, a, you could YouTube this video called The Cloud Mystery, which I recommend watching. Wow. And Spensmark's discovery was highly attacked by the IPCC when he made it in the early 2000s. And what he basically discovered was not, you would think, very revolutionary, but it was very revolutionary. And he basically proved that the the driving force of ice ages and weather more generally is um, on the one hand cloud coverage, but of, there's different types of clouds, but there's a certain type of cloud, lower the lower ordered clouds, which reflect uh, solar rays back into space that, you know, when you have more cloud coverage over a period of time, it gets colder, as we all know. And what seeds that, as he proved, is the cosmic ray seeding. There's an electromagnetic uh, impulse that ionizes the air and creates a charge that attracts H2O gas molecules into nucleuses that form clouds that that can accumulate into water. Um, hmm. And so when you have more of these, uh, the, the clouds caused by cosmic ray, ray seeding, you have cooling. So today by lack of solar, uh, the, lack, the lack of solar intensity, or the increased solar intensity, which has reduced the, the intensity of cosmic rays has created less cloud coverage, which means more sun energy is entering into the atmosphere causing increasing again heating there are ways of again counteracting that and doing and and you know uh, cooling things in a in an organic and natural way but 
that's something that uh, there's no interest in looking into because right now the, all of the science and, and, and priorities in the governing stratas of the West are to kill us, not to try yeah. to solve these problems. Yeah. Wow. That's, so I'm going to watch that, The Cloud Mystery. I'll, I'll check that out on YouTube. The Cloud Heinrich Stensmark. Heinrich Stensmark. Um, what else do we have here? I've got another email. Um, oh, okay. So, Patrick, you have, you talked about that you wanted to talk to uh, Matthew about Russia and China uh, and the reserve currency and I had that on my list but we didn't even get to it. I think I sent you a, an article. Do you know anything about the real world um, events going on with China, Russia, baskets of currencies and maybe India with trying to um, take on the dollar? Do we think this is in the works with some kind of a... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he said, wait a minute, well, that would be a big deal. I mean, that would be like a mother load, right? I mean, that's that's <laughs> like everything. It's, that's, it's, it's the biggest deal. It's the biggest <laughs> deal ever. Okay, before you go, you got to tell yeah. us about it. So what are, they, what, are you, sure. what are you been able to learn? What do you think they're up to? Oh, she and okay, Putin. Look, what you, you want to do, you want to read the writings of Sergei Glaziev. Sure, easy um, for you to say. Man. He's one of the major architects and brains behind this. Can um, you spell his last name region. for us so we can find him? What, pardon me? Can you spell his last name so we can find this dude? I oh, want to yeah, learn about Glazyev, this. Oh, yeah, Glaziev. G-L-A-Z-Y-E-V. Yeah. Uh, Glaz Y-E-V. Okay. And he is the uh, architect of this new China-Russia currency? Yeah, he's he's in, in large measure. It's his ideas that have been put into motion here. Um, wow. He has been, he's the a minister of macroeconomic development of the Eurasian Economic Union. Hmm. Um, he's been behind the extension of free trade deals between the Eurasian Economic Union, you know, six major countries led by Russia and China. Um, they got an integration that they set up in 2015 around integrating the, the BRI with the Eurasian Economic Union. There's another deal with Egypt currently being solidified. Wow. Um, all of the, the North America, like Africa as a whole, has just signed the, like a continental uh, free trade agreement as well, which is a vital part of this process, which is integrating more with Eurasia. Um, the Gulf states as well, uh, Malaysia, um, uh, sorry, Indonesia has similar free trade agreements with them. Okay, so the, the what is this new alternative currency? They've been de-dollarizing now for a number of years. Yes, sir. Reducing, I mean, yes, back sir. in 2015, I think Russian U.S. dollar holdings were something like 80% of their reserves. Today, it's down to like something 5% or yeah. something tiny. Uh, China's been doing something very similar because they see that they're holding on to not money, but monopoly money. And it's it's worthless because they know that the U.S. is never going to pay its debts. Never. They see that the, the bubble economy is going to blow. Yeah. So on the one hand, they've been, they've been withholding, they've been keeping us alive by trying to give us as many opportunities as possible to get back to our senses and get back to sane economics that would give value back into the US dollar. They didn't want it and they still would rather it not melt down because it's going to hurt a lot of people, including it's going to make Eurasian lives difficult too, um, which is why China has continuously bought and held uh, up until recently, a lot of its U.S. dollar holdings, because it doesn't. And let me just restate, restate this, because yes. people are confused by this. Yes. They don't want the U.S. to collapse. Okay, if they wanted it, they would have already, you know, dumped their U.S. holdings a decade ago. If they actually wanted, which to I think they still. Money. Excuse me, I think they still owe. They still own about a trillion of U.S. treasuries. Yeah, that's yeah, all a significant. That's but some, yeah. They're at this point. They're like, yeah. no, you guys are. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and and. Uh, 
And yeah, when you look at what they've now been set, they, they created new alternatives to SWIFT between Russia yes, has sir. their version, China has their settling a lot of their their trade in local currencies rupees ruples what have you mm -hmm. um the current configuration that's being brought online and I, I don't know how if this is this is really hit the finish line yet I, I think they're coming close but i don't think it's done yet as a deal uh completely is is that the new reserve currency will not be just one currency it's not going to be the it yen be a basket the right it'll be, be a, a basket a, a basket yeah. of currencies and that the currencies are ultimately tied uh, to commodities, like real commodities that are produced in the real world, yes, uh, gold, silver, um, other things that are real, including finished goods, wheat, other things. Wow. So it's going to be an array of metrics that are tied to real measurable world action, which is the only way a capital economy can function um, is if you have your monetary uh, behavior, yes, the behavior sir. of the money and investments tied to reality. Unlike our world, this used to be the way we did things before Bobby Kennedy was killed, uh, you know, we had a, a more viable capitalist-based economy that was based on the creation of capital. It wasn't just based on creating fake money with gambling scenarios and unpayable debt debt ratios. That was that was different. That 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 came out of the nineteen like really mid seventies. Um, so that's what they they've got. They've wow. got real concrete building projects. They're investing also in next generation new discoveries in every single domain you can touch. Hmm. Um, hmm. With a, with with a driving force of capital goods creation, so it's not consumer goods. There's a difference when you think about an economy. Capital goods is what? The, capital goods is. It's like uh, machine tools. Okay. Uh, the machines that make machines, the ability to build infrastructure, uh, the things that we can't do anymore. Hmm. Consumer goods are just machines that make consumer goods. You know, you make soap, you make uh, TVs. Right, um, right, those right. things can be retooled to do bigger infrastructure if you retool them. But you need a lot of knowledge and skill sets to. I mean, look, you. The, the type of machine tool sector, we used to be able to do this in uh, the, the 40s and 50s in Detroit and Philadelphia. That's why Hitler, Adolf Hitler, had on his uh, wish list of, of strategic places in the world to bomb. Detroit was number one. Okay. Why? Really? Because really? it was the productive powerhouse of the world. Oh, man. <laughs> and you could cripple Russia. You could cripple China. You could cripple the uh, the, the allied powers if you could just destroy uh, Detroit. Um Today, look at Detroit today, right? You know, 40 years of globalization, we did it to ourselves. We did what, what Hitler was talking about doing, but we just we self-mutilated and destroyed Detroit because that would have been the place to retool and to build the things that used to be automotives and you could have then built trains, um, rail, uh, hydroelectric dam components, nuclear energy components could be built in that machine tool sector. So Russia and China, that that's their primary priority is building up the the capital intensive ind industrial base um which is key so if you have that going and you have the constant idea of improving the processes of production then you're in an, a creative open system you're not you you've broken the malthusian trap the malthusian trap kicks in when you stop doing creativity and you you start adapting to fixed boundary conditions that exist based Oh, my, can you still hear me, Patrick? I, I think yeah. I lost you. No, I got you. You got oh, you. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, when you when you start adapting to limits, you start adapting to ignorance, that's when you hit the Malthusian problem where you say, oh, okay, well, I guess there are useless eaters. You know, I get most people have become useless. So, so this is what's going on now in, 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 in the West. And they made us useless. Yeah. Yeah, they made us a consumer society cult of mostly useless people doing useless jobs that are not... You can't justify necessarily why a lot of these jobs are necessary, thus why are people necessary. And so if you can create scarcity, you can make the argument, well, 
if you can't justify your existence in the scarcity, I'm sorry, you're going to get the death pill. Uh, you know, shit like that. So um, <laughs> the only way to get out of that is you've got to create use- useful people. You, you, you transform useless eaters into useful creators. And you do that by providing good quality education. You give people opportunities and you, you let them uh, find their talents and express those talents. And that's what China and Russia are doing when they're building projects in Africa or hmm. Egypt or, or Asia or Malaysia or Myanmar. It's very different from what, we, what we're doing. Wow. So this, this yeah. fellow, G-L-A-Z-Y-E-V, who kind of the architect of this, do we know what this, this currency is going to be called? Or do you have any? No, idea? no we don't know. It's going to be something. The name of it? No. No. Yeah, I mean, there might be something similar to a special drawing right as, yeah. as far as like uh, a possible like common, uh, uh, you know, uh, currency basket that each of the each of the the participating multipolar nations who have their local currencies put in, mm-hmm. they might have like some uh, special drawing right type thing. But the difference is that those those currencies, if they go in that direction, it's still the key that, that makes it work is the real world basket of real commodities. Real That's commodities. That's what makes it work. The oil, the gas, uh, the, the water, oil. Uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you need a series of, maybe I think Glazi have talked about, ideally you want about 20 uh, elements, 20, 20 items, and each one then would have to be increasing in quality and quantity over time for the monetary flows to justify their existence. If you have more money, but you have a decrease in the production of one or more of those goods, then you're doing a problem. You can then correct if you don't, so that's your your mental metric that you're always using as a corrective measure to judge whether you're on the right trajectory or the wrong one. You know, oh. whereas here in the West we don't have any any sim- any analog to the real world, and so you can have, you know, trillions of dollars made out of thin air through simply derivative commodities trading. You know, and or commodities trading and then derivatives on top of that, yeah. tied to speculation. And there's nobody with the with the wits to say, wait a minute. The real world is decaying, and the the monetary thing we're celebrating is growing, and maybe we don't actually have a recovery. Maybe we're we're a bubble, you know. <laughs> so, so that's, that's the idea behind this great reset idea that that we people believe that they know that this thing can't keep going, so they're going to crash and burn it and do something else. Central bank digital currencies, or something, whatever it's going to be. Okay, well, here's the inverse, right? Yeah, both the. Both sides of the of the the, Mal- the Malthusian and anti-Malthusian uh, paradigms that ha- are not compatible. Right. I've I've gone through what the anti-Malthusian paradigms economic outlook is. They both recognize that the system of anything goes consumer society neoliberal globalization is is gone. Like that was never meant to to be a, a sustainable thing. It was designed to to blow. Both sides are trying to create a new system that ties the behavior of money to real-world activity. The difference is the where one sees that um, growth is good, industrial growth, the ability to sustain people is the priority hmm. to the behavior of money. That's the one that I went through just now. Right. The other one says, no, we got to retie the value of of capital uh, profits and the behavior of money to the reduction of human activity on the earth. We have to tie it to the, we have to put value and investment incentives on the reduction of carbon emissions, the reduction of industrial goods production, the industrial of agricultural goods production, the, the, and to the degree that you conduct economic activity that destroys the ability well, to sustain crazy. Why you, advanced life. So you're, 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 you'll get more payback. You're, you'll you're, get more profit. You're pinning your, your currency, I guess the dollar or the euro, on cutting back on everything, right? Uh, not have as much, so 
So they think that it's going to balance out? They think it'll balance out if there's less people and less stuff, less GDP? They have in their mathematical models um, a population curve that sees the population going like this. Oh, good. And industrial activity going like this. Oh, good. As investments go like that (laughs) over time, not investments, but profits go like that in their shareholder capital or stakeholder capitalism uh, model. So that, you know, the the wealth transfer to those who will own the things that no one else, that people used to formerly own, but now they rent, um, is going to have a maximum as those in the know who have been the investors in ESGs, you know, environmental, social, um, good government uh, investment activity are going to make money. They'll use that money to buy up more physical goods. But the actual physical goods that they're buying, the real estate, the agricultural zones, the industrial base are all going to have a diminishment of productivity, which is going to be what justifies their increased profit margins oh, good. for those who are in their special little clubs. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, and it does work. Like, it runs contrary. This is what gives me confidence in this whole thing, because I, I know that nature does the opposite. Like the, yes, sir. God's law hmm. is a law of creativity and abundance. Yes, sir. And uh hmm. That's provably the case. So they're trying to undo, look, they're trying to undo the, they're declaring war on nature itself by banning CO2, which is plant food. They're trying to block out the light from the sun. That's what Bill Gates is doing, right. which is plant food. Like that's that's how the plants eat. They're trying to undo water act availability, fresh water to biomass by um, a variety of ways to induce droughts as we, we alluded to, right? There, so water, CO2, and sunlight are the three things that plants need <laughs> to, uh, to thrive and survive. You know, it's, it's, it's a blessing that human beings expun- expel CO2 as part of uh, our waste, which is a gift to nature. And nature gifts us back oxygen, right? Um, all of these beautiful things. And the fact that we, pr- we burn hydrocarbons for industrial use is a gift to 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 photosynthetic uh, sure. plant life, sure. it, it feeds them and they they love it, and we're choking you know nature uh, by creating more deserts by by planting solar panels all over deserts. That's what that's what Ursula van der Leyen is trying to gift to uh, Africa is to say let's put solar panels all over the all Sahara, over. yeah, yeah, California and, and Mexico, and it's like what do you do? You're going to increase the heat up to five percent on average. Uh, all over these regions, uh, sorry, five degrees, because you're concentrating sunlight. Yes. That will destroy any ability for life to ever grow in these regions. Ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, they're trying to go against the flow of actual nature. And whereas the, the powers that are these civilizational forces, Iran, ancient civilization going back thousands of years, India, thousands of years, China, 5,000 plus years, Russia, old civilization. Um, they're all unwilling to go along with this unnatural order of things, and they're doing the opposite, which is good. So that yeah. gives me, again, hope, and I'm, I'm hoping that, I mean, even though I, I do anticipate um, some challenges for people living here in the West ahead, it'll be, I think we're going to see, see some bumps. Um, despite that, I see that there's an overarching goodness that's pulling us in a better direction, and I think we have to prepare ourselves to be the leaders, to be the teachers, communicators that we are, we might not be at the moment, but we need to become, we need to transform into, which will involve investment of time and mind, mind work and, you know, organizing ourselves and organizing others in that way. Uh, well, so, well said. You know, so that's and, why you're ultimately um, um, uh, positive because if we look at the whole nature thing or God or spirit as being the opposite of what they want. That's why there's so many people out there 
kind of talking, using the word God, saying that they're on God's side and God's going to win, that idea. And you hear that more and more. That's the same, similar. Yeah, it's a very... Yeah. Now it's, now, yeah, why, why not? <clears throat> well, there we have it. Man, we covered a lot of territory here, brother. Well, it was fun. Yeah. Never know yeah, what to cool. expect with you. Yeah, really enjoy this. Uh, I'll, I'll send you this video and uh, you can do something with it. But Matthew, thanks for, for coming on. and Tell people about uh, you and where they can find more of your work and support you and become a little Patreon or whatever you do. Yeah, for sure. Um, anybody who wants, I guess there's there's a series of books that I've I've written, I've co-written with my wife Cynthia, um, called The Clash of the Two Americas. Mm -hmm. it goes through a, three volumes of U.S. history as you've never seen it, spoken from a Canadian or told from from the the, the mind of a Canadian, um, from 1776 all the way till the future, um, and that's available on CanadianPatriot.org. Org. The uh, Rising Tide Foundation, um, we host weekly seminars, lectures. We're going to have a presentation by Cynthia on how the British uh, recaptured the United States and what to do about that. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to have something on the electric universe uh, delivered by Michael Claridge, um, a leading scientist with the Sapphire Project up in Canada, but he's actually based in the U.S. Um, he's going to do something the week afterwards. Sean Stone will do something as well after that. So we do these weekly lectures that people could uh, be, in, uh, you could listen in on, be part of the, the Q&A process um, every Sunday. Just email me at info at risingtidefoundation.net if you want to receive the invites. Ideally make a donation or become a, a paid subscriber to our Substacks, uh, Cynthia and myself, um, matthewerrett.substack.com. If you upgrade to the paid subscription, you get the invites to everything, including PDFs of the books. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a lot cool. of stuff right there. A lot you start of stuff. Doing that stuff you're, Plus, you're doing yeah. some videos too, right? Um, mm. What are these? Uh, Rumble on Rumble, Rumble. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, USA is an unfinished symphony. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, that's the name of the first volume of our of our book. Uh, the USA is the unfinished symphony, volume one. Um, and we're doing a series, maybe ten or twenty little short history video. Uh, documentaries, taking elements of those books and just bringing them into something multimedia um, with a, a good friend of mine uh, in Ottawa uh, named Jason Dahl, who's this very talented producer. So he's helping to uh, to do that. And uh, we want to try to get some traction on those. But people can can watch those on my Rumble or BitChute channel or, or YouTube if they want to still go into that cesspool <laughs> and, uh, and check those out. What kind of uh, things does Jason produce? Jason Dahl? Oh, documentaries. He he had a. Um, I met him because he was a host of a, of a of a podcast called Super Spreaders, uh, which became um, it had a burst of activity. Um, uh, it became popular during the uh, the trucker the convoy thing, I think. Mm -hmm. And he had, he invited me on to do a uh, to be interviewed. And you know when I said yes, he said, "Okay, here's uh, thanks. Here's the first promotional video I just did to uh, promote our, our our interview." And I'm like, "What?" You made a promotional video, so I watched it, and it was good. It was like a really – I never good. saw somebody do that, first of all. And his was actually really well done. Music, background, ambient sound, oh, very well great. edited. And I was like, wow. And then he did another one, and then he did another one, three promotional videos for one interview. And I was like, whoa, you got some skill sets and some enthusiasm and a good mind. So we started talking, and um, he's helped make uh, one long documentary – or long, well, longer video uh, on conspiracy theories, um, which was the first one. It's about 23 minutes. And um, and that worked out so well. We're going to do a whole series of those in smaller videos, going through the 
our, our, the history research. Um, and so we've done three of those smaller history videos that we want to really just get out there and help shape the zeitgeist oh, a little bit. In a, in a yeah, that's way. great. Is this Sean Stone Oliver's son? Yes. Ah. Yeah, he's going to do a class in three weeks on uh, the power of creativity. The power of creativity. On a Sunday at 2 p.m. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you should come on if you're bored on a, on a Sunday. Oh, I'd, I'd love to, yeah. Let me, yeah. Yeah, let me know. And so is he doing films at all? Is he producing films too, Sean? Sure, he's a film producer. Yeah, he's done documentaries, mm -hmm. lots of good documentaries. Uh, he's made some, uh, some live-action films too. Hmm. Yeah, he's. I think documentaries is is his current passion. He's a poet as well. Uh, he's, yeah. he's, he he's a cool guy. I've seen some of his videos, and his dad is like one of my heroes. Boy, he he knows how to make a movie, doesn't he? Oliver Stone. No man. Yeah, no, he's he's something special for sure. I, Nixon is one of my favorite movies. I don't know why I like that movie, but I've seen it about ten times. You know, I don't know why. Really? Yeah. You know, man, I, I gotta like say, it? I love Oliver Stone's moving movies. You I didn't love like them, that one, uh, but <laughs> I couldn't get into it. I don't know why. <laughs> See, we I don't, isn't that weird? Now JFK, of course, was great, and uh, the Vietnam ones were cool. And um, he's made some good ones uh, on any on any Sunday. Have you ever seen that one? That's a good one. Any given yeah, Sunday. Yeah, that was good. That was, yeah. that was well done. That's very well done. But you didn't like the Nixon uh, movie, huh? You didn't like that one, huh? I just I don't I couldn't put into words. Like, don't ask me why. I just couldn't get into it. Um, I, I found um, I loved his Money Never Sleeps, the Wall Street. Uh, yeah, both the, Wall the Street second one. Yeah, great. the second one was great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love the the sub theme as well of the pursuit of cold fusion as mm -hmm. they're in the backdrop and the question of what is real value versus which was also a theme in the first the first one in, in eighty nine sure. as well. What is real value, real economic activity that's that's just versus the speculative rot that is Wall Street? Great, great. Good stuff. Moral undertone. It was good. Yeah. yeah. And Snowden. Snowden was good, right? Snowden was a good movie. Brilliant. Yeah. Oliver. Natural Born Killers. Not not a big fan of that. You know what? Know. That's so funny you mentioned that. I've watched Natural Born Killers probably five times, and I've never finished it. I can't. It is so weird that I can't get through it. You know, <laughs> I get about three quarters of and the way. I mean, I've never seen it to the end to this day. <laughs> I made the mistake of watching the director's cut a full hour of cut footage just to bring it down to the R rating. And I made the mistake back in like 1999 of watching that. Yeah. And uh, to this very day, my soul is scarred with like, I know that's why I can't do it. So I can't do <laughs> yes. it. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. Did you see uh, Oliver's uh, Putin interviews? They were pretty good, right? Oliver Stone's Putin interviews. Yeah. Those are excellent. Excellent. Yeah. yeah Putin really appreciates Oliver. And, and he, you know, I, I think Oliver's doing, a, he did a really good, good thing for, for the West. To give people a chance to actually just see Putin communicate, which you are never allowed to do ever in the Western media. Yeah, yeah. And his Ukraine on fire was was super powerful to this very day. If anybody still is have, having trouble communicating what the hell is going on in Ukraine, yeah. Uh, to any of your friends or family, uh, Ukraine on fire is the most competent and entertaining documentary from 2016, I think. Or That's great. I think it's still out there. Ukraine on fire. So everything that you know, finally, I keep saying finally, and I love talking to you, and everything that you know about Russia, could you ever see a time or day that you and your wife would ever live in Russia? I know, you never oh, know. Sure. Would you? I mean, could you? I sure, mean, if you yeah, had to I mean, or wanted to? something we think about. Oh. Um, hmm. Interesting. I, you know, it's just part of it is, is um, you know, secure. like I know a lot of people who have left the U.S. or Canada for obvious reasons in the last you know year and a half or so yes sir. and uh 
a lot of them are, are in a tough spot as well because you know you you're now hopping around different parts of the world trying to find some security hmm. you know you don't have necessarily you didn't plan out a job or anything like that and so you're trying to figure out you know what do you do when you get from point a to point b or where's point c gonna be um hmm. I, a part of it is i i you know we have a lot of people who um follow our work who communicate with us who tell us that we you know we provide them also a lot of hope um and i feel a little bit weird um leaving when there's so many uh, fellow citizens we're all you know there's so many of us who are all in this together it's right. personal you know yeah, yeah. um so we're we're so far sticking with the bunking down here in Canada. We got a little house, I understand. you know, and we're, we're gonna. As you probably know, there's there's quite a bit of chatter, and I mean real serious talk. Uh, places like where I live, Texas and Florida, Oklahoma. We interviewed a fellow who ran for governor in Oklahoma, and you know the word succession is not an evil word anymore. I mean it's going around, and they could happen. You know, Florida, Texas. Tennessee, yeah. uh, they could just say, you know what, we're done. <laughs> you know, we're done. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing with me. I, I, it's a difficult one to talk about because I I want to to re- my my priority right now is the best of all possible worlds. Right, the best scenario possible hmm. is recapturing the federal government. Really? You know? um, yeah, I mean, that's the best scenario is, is preserving the union. Um, obviously, the the idea of going into a civil war is a real scenario. I don't think that the technocrats managing Biden would uh, acquiesce uh, peacefully to a secession process. I think it would probably become be ugly, uh, be very ugly. violent, yeah. um, a lot of death, a lot of a lot of bad would happen. And so the greatest good possible would be to preserve the union, re- restore its its constitutional traditions, and over the course of you know it's going to take decades of healing um, to start undoing the damage we did to ourselves, psycho spiritually, physically. But it, that that w- it, that's where my priorities are really? focused right well, good now. Good for you. You're a real I, idealist, I, boy. I tell you what. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, I mean, the other scenarios get get really messy, and I, I'm not intrinsically against the idea of secession. If if a secession is done, it's like the U.S. seceded from the British Empire. Sure. If it's done in a principled reason, it's like in Quebec. You know, like I live in Quebec. There are bad reasons to to secede from the federal government, and there's good reasons. And there's people who are who want to break away and become a republic, or not a republic, but but their own Quebec um, country for country. bad reasons, just because. They have their own, you know, they just want to speak the French language and that's their whole identity is just the French language. They don't care about um, economic justice, like actual giving people real jobs or anything like that. Mm. So it's really just uninspired, limited, and they really just want to be another tool within the Great Reset. Sure. But they're, they would just have a bit, a bit more independence being a tool in the Great Reset. And then other people have historically, there are traditions that want to, you know, secede and, and set up a real republic a real, founded yeah. upon principles of natural yeah. law. Yeah. And if that were done, then I'm, then I support it. I support that one because I don't think Canada is a legit country. It's been totally captured by an oligarch. <laughs> who knows? Who knows what? Uh, it, and there's a yeah. there's some real good things you could do in a state where you had your own bank that wasn't a you know a Federal Reserve kind of bank, a real bank, and you could you could support you know a lot of people with a real. And it could be a it could be a role model for other other states and other nations to to do something if you could be a success and demonstrate what competency is in yeah. on a local level and on a state level or maybe a, a multitude of states getting together with a common principle um that could grow in a in a in a, in a i think a lawful way but the part of the part of it that i find trip i get trip 
have trepidation with is the the divide to conquer part because i know that the the oligarchy does get its benefit by breaking up its victims into divided local zones mini mini regions everything right? and that are thus easy, more easy to like snip off yeah you know crush yeah. when you're small but when you're unified you're harder to crush so would it be easier to crush a local state or a couple of breakaway states over uh, something bigger as a nation yeah i think it would be easier but at the same measure if you've got leadership that's qualified and competent in affecting policy like the early u.s colony uh had real leadership you can 250 do it. years ago yeah. you can do it but i don't know i i don't have i don't i don't see a lot of i guess displays of of that quality of statecraft of competency of of that of that order that i i i, I crave mm -hmm. <laughs> like who uh, I need to. I want to see more competency, as, as I guess what I'm sure, saying. Sure, sure, yeah. I, I met a fellow at the farmers market this morning who just returned from Sri Lanka, and I asked him about the revolution there, and he said, "What you're seeing on videos are nothing like what went on." He said there were millions of people, millions of people in the street, and they just stormed the castle. They just took. So I said, "Well, who's in government now?" He said, "Well." The, the parliament just appointed somebody else and it's the same old, same old. God love them. Can you imagine going through all that and all of a sudden they just put up some other doofus? I don't know how you deal with that. Well, that's, that's why I'm saying you need competency because yeah. just the people by themselves, you get the sans-culottes, you know, the, the, sure. the, that's the problem with the French Revolution. That's why the French Revolution turned into a useless bloodbath that created a, a vacuum of leadership when they killed everybody who would quit qualifications, you know, like, some people were corrupt. Many people were corrupt who, who got their heads cut off. But a lot of people who got their heads cut off were actually really good uh, scientists and, and statesmen. <laughs> and it was such just a rage fest of just people who had been abused, who then became mobs. And mobs are just the flip side of tyranny. Yes, sir. Because um, they're always used by by demagogues like a Robespierre or a Danton, who could then move the mob, the unthinking mob, because you think less when you're in a mob. Uh, you get heard think, right? And you could use them as battering rams, weapons against the state which is what was done to uh, the case of France, you know, and they had like a, rep a Republican minded King. Like you don't get those very often who actually cared about the people who wanted to help the American, who, who put vast resources into supporting George Washington and the American cause earlier. He wanted to really do some seriously good reforms and take down the oligarchy in so many levels in France. And they ended up cutting off his head and his wife's head. I hate it when that happened. You know, yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, and then, they were, then they were like, what, a proto-fascist Napoleon who uh, just, you know, burned the earth for 20 years trying to declare himself a world emperor. emperor. Um, hmm. So, uh, yeah, you need to have, again, the types of Ben Franklins. You need to, you need to have the Hamiltons, the, the Washington. Like, you have to have people who've been through the fire, worked on themselves to be able to. I think Trump has exhibited qualities of sophistication that I, were unexpected. Hmm. He's also... You know, said dumb things as well, sure. especially on the, the vaccine issue that I, I'm I terribly know. disappointed with. I know. Um, that being said, and I want to put this video on YouTube, so I'm not going to say more about that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> take the V word out. You know, just take the V word out. No, no. <laughs> I just said the word. I just said the. I didn't you say said the about word. It. I'm not judging. Not, not casting judgment. Yeah. <laughs> not casting judgment. <laughs> but, but you know, I, 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 he definitely has power structures that are evil that he had to negotiate with, work with, um, try to stay alive, uh, knowing that they couldn't, you know, they, they were there. I think uh, a lot of these fifth columns are embedded in a lot of countries that find leaders who find who find themselves for reasons I don't fully understand, needing to, they feel like they need to negotiate with these structures. Um,
that that uh, that one is one of the big ones. Again, I don't have I got I have indirect mappings of it in my mind, but there's things I don't understand. Yeah. So I'm not on the inside. I never yeah. I don't have any power of anything. So well, if know, the conservatives can do, if they can get in, yeah, if the conservatives can get in and just slow this whole thing down in November, just slow it down. All these crazy stuff they're doing, maybe we can survive. You know, maybe you know, I don't know. The, the blow that's going to happen, though, you know, you need to have pol- like a discussion around, you know, bringing restoring Glass-Steagall before the blowout. After the blowout, forget it; it's too late. You got that. You got to make sure that the controlled demolition of the banking system hits the banks and not the people. That's what Glass-Steagall does. So if you got to get a discussion around breaking up the banks between the the crap, toxic waste, speculative component and the real commercial banking that's useful to your society. Oh, that, so you're talking about just taking over the Fed and getting rid of the, the, the whole separation between the Fed and, and the Treasury. Well, the Fed's got to be converted into a, either dissolved or converted into a real national bank. Right. Uh, yeah. The, the, the Glass-Steagall Act would be a, a part of that, of that package yeah. of directing the, the blowout of the system onto the speculators who lo- gambled and lost, you know, getting rid of the too-big-to-fail model, meaning no bailouts, meaning you fail. Meaning, at that point, you trigger the system blow up because when you admit that the, that the banks have failed, these two big fails, you got a system collapse. And now the question is, well, do we protect the real, the real, you know, there's five thousand viable solvent commercial banks that could be very useful yeah. as instruments of growth that could be outlets to take uh, funds from a real national bank, like Lincoln Greenbacks style, you know, and and provide those funds for investments into entrepreneurship in infrastructure development things like the bri the belt and road initiative right you know for north america the opening up of the arctic with the polar silk road that's something that russia is doing they're building five advanced science cities in the arctic each one uh which uh, will home uh house a million people each um with high speed rail integration wow that's going on wow we could have something similar in alaska and yukon that would be a good drive driver for real industrial mm. renaissance. Mm. So, and it would also avoid war to pull the tension out of the the militarization of the Arctic strategy, which is currently where things are moving anyway for a, a war in the Arctic. Instead, well, let let's let's actually develop the resources that are abundant in the Arctic and have some you know forward thinking economic investments around that too, as Russia and China become increasingly you know collaborators and friends in mutual development instead of being our opponents. So that, that those are the sorts of constructive things that could animate, I think, a national mm. policy discussion fast because we're running out of time. We're running well. It's going to be interesting looking forward here to see what happens. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Mister Mister Eret. We really appreciate it, and uh, we'll we'll put all of uh, Matthew's uh, different uh, links to his his 120 places you can go to visit him in the show page, so you can just click on him and visit him and support him and. Send them some money, too. Matthew, thanks a lot. Love your work. We appreciate it. You take care of yourself, okay? Stay out Patrick, of, always a pleasure. Stay out of trouble. Too. Bye-bye. Matthew Errett, Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. Boy, he's fun, huh? You just love talking that people actually think for a living, you know? It's like, whoa. I mean, come on. Yep. Okay, so um, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I don't know. I think we'll just take a break, and we'll see you in the morning. Uh, we're going to talk about money. We'll talk about China, Russia, the dollar, the reserve currency, of, like we did with uh, China and Russia with Matthew. Uh, this and this is happening, and it's a big deal. Uh, with uh, someone who will know a lot about it as well, 
His name is uh, Jim Rogers. He'll be here 9 o'clock tomorrow morning on One Radio Network. 9 o'clock. We're starting early because Jimmy Rogers is in Singapore and their 13-hour difference. So that would be uh, the... Excuse me, I need more water. Um, it'll be 10 o'clock his time. I love you all. Thanks for your support. Go on our website. If you need something, buy it and that'd be great. I love you. We'll see you tomorrow, 9 o'clock Central Time. Let me know if I can help you. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.